Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, I'm one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and I'm one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to be kicking off a series all about paediatric rheumatology. I was lucky enough to be joined by two guests, Dr. Dana Beasley, a general paediatrician who works at Morriston Hospital in Swansea and runs the local rheumatology clinic there, as well as Dr. Nick Wilkinson, who's a paediatric consultant based in Cardiff, who's a specialist in rheumatology and chronic pain. For this first episode, we're going to be talking about juvenile idiopathic arthritis. It's split into two parts, so we'll release the first part this week and the second half next week. Anyway, let's get started. Hi everyone, so I'm Asim, I'm here presenting for Dragon Bites again, and we're going to be kicking off a series about rheumatology. So I'm going to start by uh, just introducing our guests for this, for hopefully the entirety of this series. Let's see how things go. So we'll start with Dr. Dana Beasley. So she's a general paediatrician from Morriston Hospital. Hi, Dana. Hello, Watson. Hi, nice to meet you, though we've met multiple times before. Um, And also I want to say hi to Dr. Nick Wilkinson, who's a paediatric consultant specialising in rheumatology and chronic pain based here in Cardiff. Hi, Asim. Thanks very much for inviting us. Thank you both for coming to join us. It's always really useful, I think, for our listeners to find out a bit about the guests who are on the show. It's okay to start with yourself, Dana. Of course. What would you like to know? So could you tell us a little bit, we won't get too personal, (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about your paediatric career to date? Right, Um, I'm a general paediatrician, so um, what makes my career slightly special is that I started, I had my children early and I started training less than full time, which was at the time quite unusual, so I've been training for a very, very long time um, before I finally um, became consultant five years ago. Uh, I'm a general paediatrician. My um, my interest actually was the acute um, illness and the acutely ill child. I loved my placements in PICU. After an HDU spin, went to Australia, did some transport. But when I started at Morriston five years ago, um, it became apparent that there is a void of um, someone linking with tertiary rheumatology, and um, as a kind of challenge I've taken it on and um, that's how I've become involved in all of this. Wow, amazing. Um, as, as you mentioned the less than full-time thing, um, I remember we worked together quite a lot before when we were on the, um, working for the School of Paediatrics in Wales. Are you still the less than full-time training lead? Yes, uh, I'm, I'm sitting on the Royal College's um, less than full-time committee um, trying to improve um, working conditions um, for less than full-time training, flying the flag for that it's you know I'm, I'm really pleased that it's far more common now than it was when I started um, our numbers are ever increasing um, I'm pleased to see that um, there is more male colleagues um, joining in and um, that also gives me um, a seat on the STC so this is something I'm quite passionate about in kind of improving training yeah. yeah, no, it's really appreciated, Dan. I think given how many trainees we have who listen to the podcast and how many trainees, I think uh, uh, well over two thirds of our trainees are now less than full time, aren't they? So I think we all appreciate your efforts. So I just wanted to say thank you for that on behalf of the trainees. Pleasure. Um, and Nick, um, this is the first time we've actually met face to face. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lovely to meet you. 
Thank you. Um, so could you mind telling us a little bit about your paediatric career today? Because I think you're new to us here in Wales, if I'm... Yeah, no, I started uh, in Cardiff on the 1st of February, this is 2022, um, having been, well, my first consultant job was in Vancouver in, oh God, 2004. Um, and then I set up services in Oxford and then London. And what I was really interested to hear was that Dana spent some time in uh, Australia doing emergency transport. and. And I did the same. It was. It seems to be the rite of passage, <laughs> and I had a real interest in acute care. Um, was going to be a cardiologist, and then actually I found that I quite enjoyed sort of complex conditions mm. and long-term conditions. And when I started to set up services, I actually realised I'm trained in paediatric rheumatology, but those with greater disability and greater need are those with chronic pain. And so I felt it would be a miss of me. To ignore those patients so I set up services then for for chronic pain management and also in, when I was in Oxford then sports and exercise medicine and skeletal dysplasia and I was asked to go and do it again well mainly for the rheumatology and the pain in uh, the Evelina Guys and St Thomas's for South London Kent Surrey Sussex mm-hmm. uh, and we you know we had uh, I worked with a fabulous team there we, we, we built up to quite quite a show um, worked with uh, 16 different district general hospitals and then I realised that actually the model that I was trying to develop, it wasn't going to be possible really in South London because the question is, how do we reach those that are difficult to reach? Mm. And that includes those with, with chronic pain. And we know, for instance, there's probably about 30,000 kids in South London, Kensari, Sussex, who are missing school more than 10% when pain is a factor. Mm. So there's a lot. And I felt that coming to Wales, there was a greater opportunity to do this because there are these new policies, new guidelines and frameworks, which are really exciting in Wales. And there's a, there's a different level of communication and integration that, that I found was potentially quite empowering. And that's the reason I've come here then to support with, with paediatric rheumatology and hopefully developing other services. Well, I mean, we're super grateful to have you here with us now uh, to bring that, this wealth of experience you've, you've come with. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us in Team Wales. My pleasure. No, and I'm really glad to be here. It's been a great team. You know, it's already kicking off and then working with Dana in Swansea is, uh, is, is a pleasure. <laughs> I remember working with Dana in Swansea, was it two years ago? It was absolutely lovely. It was an excellent training experience. Thank you, Dana. So what? before we get started what I wanted to do is just maybe give a, a summary for our listeners about what we can look forward to over the course of this series so would one of you mind giving us a, a brief um, chat through what what to expect with our upcoming episodes so uh, we're going to start off with talking about juvenile idiopathic arthritis and that will be uh, not only diagnosis and treatment but also uh, experience of, of, of having it um, we're going to talk about uh, the investigations we can, which can be uh, undertaken uh, at the front line and then what might occur then in uh, general paediatrics or specialist services. We're going to talk about the approach to multisystem inflammatory disorders. We'll cover paediatric rheumatology emergencies, uh, including uh, macrophage activation syndrome. There'll be the child with chronic widespread pain, which I think the majority of paediatricians will see and perhaps scratch their heads with because there are many different uh, diagnoses that are talked about. We'll cover how to talk about pain with a parent. Uh, And finally, we'll cover uh, uveitis 
and inflammatory eye conditions. That's fantastic. Fine, so I suppose we should get started with JIA. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think part of this is, is about diagnosis and arthritis is the most common of the uh, rheumatological conditions in, in paediatrics. Um, so juvenile idiopathic arthritis affects about 12,000 kids in the UK. This is up to 17 years of age by definition. Um, and so in Wales, we were just working this out, if we work on a 2.2 million population, um, a fifth of the population will be those under, seven, under 17, um, which means around about 600, 650 kids will have uh, JIA working on a one in a thousand. Um, the, inc the, the incidence is about one in 10,000. Um, and so we probably diagnose yeah, probably around about 50 new cases a year, mm. um, having maybe four or five a month, might, might, be, might be a little bit more than that, I would have to work it out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I thought, to, to kick off this, I mean, we, we, I thought we'd start with yourself, Dana. So you've recently taken over you know, rheumatology services, Swansea Way. Um, so you get a lot of referrals from, probably from frontline clinicians, general practitioners, A&E. Um, would you mind giving, to help us put things in context, what's a typical sort of case you would get for something like this? So there's a huge variety of referrals that I get. Um, also, you've mentioned A&E, um, obviously my colleagues as well, GPs, um, but I get quite a number of referrals also from my trauma and orthopaedic surgical colleagues. Mm. And um, it can vary, it can be very detailed, um, it can be just about aches and pains. Um, but um, a good referral uh, for me um, is one where I can work out there's probably inflammatory process, I need to see them sooner rather than later. So what I quite like to know is how long it's been going on for mm. and which joint is affected and how it affects the child. And then hopefully I'll be able to kind of work out um, what time scale I need to see the child because they're standards, ideally we should see them within four weeks. So I had a referral from um, my um, trauma orthopedic um, colleague last year, about a three-year-old girl, and um, she, had issues with her knee but really she wasn't unwell in a sense the parents um, noticed that she'd had a fall in November time and um, the knee was slightly swollen ever since and um, they've left it kind of just to see if it settles and um, went then to A&E in the January time had an orthopedic follow-up um, then had a scan kind of June time and that actually showed that there was a bit of synovitis on the ultrasound scan and then she was referred to me. That is a fairly common referral. It's it's something that we see quite frequently mm. um, because um, with JIA there is no usually there is no kind of there's no trauma involved. But but what's very common is that especially with the small children, um, there is a perceived trauma that leads up to this. So um, I saw Poppy then in clinic and um, she walked in with a slightly abnormal gait, but more importantly, you could see that she'd had a swollen left knee. Um, and you could see it was slightly flexed already, but also what you can see what small children do, they make up for that, they deal with things. So she 
climbed onto the couch no problem at all um, but when you then look at that joint you could see that there was restriction of the movement in the joint so that was um, a fairly kind of spot diagnosis fairly easy spot diagnosis of an oligoarticular JIA so that means that just one or less than four joints is affected yeah oh, thank you Atala. so I think that's a really great jumping off point so I know, I mean, you're far cleverer than I am about things like this. So for you, that was a spot diagnosis. How, what, like, I, I don't know if I'd have got that as a spot diagnosis with my limited experience. So um, maybe that this would be a useful time to have a think about how we go about making diagnosis, diagnoses of, of, of arthritis. So as you probably know, there is no kind of test, no specific test. Arthritis mm. is a clinical diagnosis which is why you have to see the children face to face. Um, so like with everything, you, you have to start off with a good history. Mm. So how long has it been going on for? Um, which joint is affected? What is actually the effect of this on the child? What is a child limited in? Mm. And um, important to take a family history as well. Always ask about um, inflammatory conditions like psoriasis, Mm. inflammatory bowel disease, um, ankylosing spondylitis and um, then it is a careful examination. So I use um, PGAL system. Mm. I know other colleagues just tend to feel almost every joint because things can be very subtle. Sometimes you can see children limping with big swollen hot joints mm. but also sometimes it can be very subtle and it could be missed if you're not looking at every joint and if you're not trying to move every joint. That's really helpful. Thank you, Dana. Um, I suppose um, it might be worth diving into the, the, the history aspect of things perhaps a bit more. I say that, but I'm also looking towards Nick. Uh, Nick, do you have anything that you want to add at this stage? Oh, I can't stress more highly than the importance of a diagnosis in rheumatology is a good history and examination. There are very few diagnostic tests, and whenever you run a blood test, you should have an a priori uh, decision about what you're looking for. Mm. Um, the, the important thing, just to deconstruct some of the history there, is people don't often think about arthritis in kids. They're thinking more about orthopedic conditions. Mm. And so naturally parents think about the history of trauma. Mm. They, but the falling over has probably happened because the swelling's already there, not being really noticed. There's a little bit of weakness that goes around that because swelling of a joint then inhibits the muscles. Child falls over and then the swelling's noted. Mm -hmm. So that's a very common scenario. And then it tends to lead down an orthopedic route. And one of the things that I noted in the history here was actually the delay in, in diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's been passed from pillar to post and then through orthopedics who've then done an ultrasound. And actually, in most general paediatric hands, in most paediatric rheumatology hands, we wouldn't need to do investigations because firstly, with examination then, which is the other important part of this, is the joint restriction is really key. And a PGALS is specifically designed to pick up restriction more than it is swelling. Mm. It's to get you to look at all of the joints. And as Diana said, trying to pick up swelling at times, you know, I've been doing this 20, 25 years. 
And there were times when I can go, am I seeing ankle swelling, am I not? And why am I guessing? So when I, when I feel that I might be guessing, then I would do an I would do an investigation. Mm. But most of the time, swollen knee that's, a, that's clearly restricted, you can't get the heel onto the bottom, for instance, mm. you go, well, that's going to be arthritis. The symptoms have been going longer than six weeks. But the key here also is the differential. And you know, with Diana's case, it's clearly long-standing, has had thorough investigation by paediatricians and orthopedic surgeons. Um, but if this was, say, a child that came into A&E, then you'll be thinking, are there systemic features? Uh, um, is, so then you'll be thinking of, you know, so that'd be weight loss, fever, rash. You'll be thinking of perhaps a neoplastic condition. Mm. You know, they're very rare, um, but 20% of leukemia can present with a joint swelling. Um, and then um, infection, obviously, susceptic arthritis, osteomyelitis. But other causes then of acute swelling, while we're on that, could be a reactive um, arthritis, which might include postreptocopal, Kawasaki disease, HSP, uh, Lyme disease. I would consider that to be reactive rather than infective. Um, and, and, then you've, and then you've got to think about um, other things features such as an incongruent history with examination findings and you know and then obviously you know the risk of, of safeguarding and that sort of thing mm -hmm. these, are, these are important things that you don't want to miss so if I was to come back then to to what Diana was saying so we've talked about history and examination one of the one of the key things that Diana's also brought up is 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 the disability but also the abilities about how children adjust to to what has become normal to them. So this child has had swelling for seven, eight months from what I heard. And so, yeah, the child wants to carry on. The child's much more interested in joining in and, and having fun than worrying about a knee, mm. which slightly changes as we get older, mm. um, because then we realize what well, it's not inhibiting. I'm not able to do things quite the way I want to do, but children don't have that reference point. And so that in itself then can fool people who are not familiar looking at, um, at children, um, especially musculoskeletal conditions. Mm. So it's not surprising then that some GPs might miss this because they're constantly looking at adults, especially older adults, and will rely on the disability to help with the information about the diagnosis. Mm. So a child who's accommodating then, they go, oh, well, it must be growing pains rather than going and looking intently. So these are why things are missed. But as a general paediatrician or paediatric trainee, your purpose is to look in detail at the history and the examination and not just rush to an investigation. That's really helpful. Thank you. And, and I'm glad that you pointed out what, what Diana mentioned earlier. So, so with this, with the fact that, that um, in this case, um, the childhood managed to sort of adapt to this was that what gave it away as a sort of almost spot diagnosis or was, was that part of a picture that made you think oh this is this is what i'm thinking it is well for me it was more the picture of the restriction um mm. and the swelling it was very obvious she had a um a, a fixed flexion deformity as we call it she was unable to straighten her knee mm. and it was quite swollen um but yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing, and that's part of why I really like being a pediatrician to see how she totally adapted, and it was of no concern to her. She, you know, when I've asked her if it's sore, she kind of said, 
not not really mm-hmm. you know so and that's that's something that is really important because um often um people think it's it's all about pain it isn't so much about pain it is about joint swelling mm-hmm. and it is about the restriction that's really helpful thank you um uh, um something else that that um we so so there we've covered quite a a few of the possible differential diagnoses including quite a few things that we don't want to miss so just to re re highlight perhaps the key ones that we wouldn't want to avoid i think we mentioned um leukemia um you know uh, so neoplastic problems um imp- um significant infections as well was uh, um was there anything else i'm trying to summarize some of these Yes, yeah, so we, uh, when we talked about the reactive to so things like HSP, mm. and obviously you would want to dip the urine in that sort of case, and, and actually you have to sometimes search for the rash. So you might just see a few particularly around the ankle, but then you would be there because probably there would have been a bit of ankle swelling, so you'll be looking in detail for that. Yeah. And then there might be this history of sore throat and fever that has gone with that, that just makes you think, oh, you know, is this really arthritis? Is this a a more generalized condition. And then thinking about generalized conditions, obviously we would hope to pick up conditions like lupus vasculitis, juvenile dermatomyositis, each of which can present with a, with an arthritis. Um, but again, that comes then from your systemic inquiry. So as you go through, you know, trying to find out about headaches and central nervous system involvement, cardiorespiratory involvement, that's another important part of your history. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Every clinic, and Dana probably gets tired of this, I will go through a systems inquiry each time because I just want to make sure, has this condition evolved? Is this something else? Mm-hmm. And that's just so that I can then think of other organ involvement rather than just joint involvement. So it's okay to miss, but you then revisit. Yeah. So, so, so inferring from that, for, for the sort of like arthritis we're talking about today, um, uh, yes. They should, we shouldn't be expecting any other systems involvement, perhaps not respiratory or neurological so much? So I think that brings us, it's a good question because mm-hmm. it brings us then to the classification, which mm-hmm. I think lots of people and, and Dana referred to before in yeah. making the diagnosis. And people get hung up on about the classification. We have to remember that this classification was from George Frederick Still back in 1896 with his MD thesis and it hasn't changed and this is medicine you know it's we like to hold on to the past with 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 our stories it's not that important but for the for the point of 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 what you talked about is Mm -hmm. does it involve other systems so systemic um, onset juvenile arthritis so-called stills disease Mm -hmm. is the one that we would need to consider because that requires a different treatment that typically presents with a fever and rash the fever would be quotidian which means that it rises once or twice a day but always goes back to baseline and Mm -hmm. so often the the, the parent reports that the child's playing happily in the morning then mid-afternoon becomes a bit flaky then stops playing the fever goes up and then by sort of eight in the evening they're back playing again Mm. So that's a characteristic fever for systemic onset. JIA, the rash is often salmon pink, but actually it can be lots of different forms. You can also look vasculitic mm. uh, and, and pruritic. Um, and it tends to come up, especially when the, when the fever arises and then settle. But sometimes it can last longer than that. And so it's just putting them together. And then the other feature would be organomegaly. So hepatosplenomegaly is part of it. 
Um, the what's what's also interesting again thinking about whether other systems are involved. So we have to think about skin for psoriatic arthritis. Mm -hmm. That tends to have a more as a variable prognosis, and some kids can get really bad refractory um, to treatment their arthritis, and so they end up quite a lot of disability. Others might only have one single swollen joint that then is difficult to manage. Others absolutely normal in the way they respond to treatment. Um, but then they can also get then bone inflammation. So we can see an osteitis mm -hmm. um, and you can get an iritis. So this is the other thing that we obviously need to consider. Um, and maybe we can come back to talking about uveitis uh, a little bit later in, in, in this podcast. Sure. And I wanted to say thank you to both Nick and Dana for recording that episode for us. Please join us again next week where we'll conclude this episode about juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.